Thank you, and it is good to be with you all. Last time I was here, we all had masks on, so it's definitely a good day um, and a new day to see your faces. So Psalms 34, thank you for reading that for me. Um, originally, as I looked at Psalm 34, I just thought that is a it's a perfect psalm or a good psalm or a better psalm for us coming out of a time of COVID. As we look at, you know, the story, the backstory where David's at when he is writing Psalm 34, he is in a place of distress, right? He's a place of uncertainty. He's been isolated. He's hiding away. And so when I originally picked Psalm 34 to write a sermon on, I didn't think about us exiting COVID or the parallels at all, but the more I dug into it, I could see um, how this spoke to my heart, and so I hope it does the same for you this morning. God, I pray right now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Amen. So the backstory, anyone who knows me, who's had a conversation with me, knows that I love a good backstory. In fact, there was a meme going around a couple years ago that was that said, normal people tell stories this way, and it was a linear line. And then it said, but you tell stories this way, and it was backstory, well, second backstory, well, post-backstory, then reverse. Um, and so it was like a figure eight inside of a figure eight. Um, but I do, I love history. I've always loved history. And so the history to this text is 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um, you can go there if you want. I'm not going to read from it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it and recap it. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Saul has figured out that God is disappointed with him. And he is not fit to be king. He is, of course, Saul is the first king chosen for Israel to lead them. And he was handpicked by God. But Saul at this point has allowed the power to go to his head. And so God has moved his anointing from King Saul to the next person. And it's not even Saul's son, Jonathan, which would be typical to pass on the family business to your firstborn. It's David. David has been selected, ordained, and called as the new king. In fact, at this point, David's been anointed for roughly 10 years because if you remember, David was anointed when he was about eight or nine years old, taking care of sheep, right, the family business. And so Saul is angry and bitter. Uh, Saul might be an eight on the Enneagram. Um, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I know in, in healthy states we get pretty um, focused on betrayal. And so eight, he's pretty angry here. And uh, his full kingship, his power, his authority, um, and being backed by Yahweh is being taken away from him. It's left Saul and it's left his family, right? And instead of getting to pass on the kingdom to his son, Jonathan, he's going to have to pass it on. God has chosen to pass it on to this rowdy, handsome teenager from a small farming community. So Saul is certainly furious, and Saul does what some people might do in this situation or unhealthy places when we've lost complete focus of reality, complete focus of who it is that's called us to begin with or given us our gifts and talent. Paul, or Saul seeks 
revenge. He plots to kill David. And this is probably some good logic. I figure if you want to outsmart the creator of the universe, probably killing his chosen person is a good way to go about it or to plot. Um, these are not smart goals for Paul. He has not set achievable nor measurable goals, but Saul, I keep saying Paul, I'm sorry, but it's Saul. Um, but nonetheless, this is his plot. And so he is so enraged that nothing will stop him. Um, and so there's a kink in his plan, though. Saul, just like any good father, trusts his son to share his secrets with, right? And so he shares with Jonathan his plot, or at least some of his insanity in trying to kill David. And Jonathan, as we know it, tells David, right? So David is able to flee. And this is kind of where 1 Samuel chapter 21 picks up. David flees, and he flees far, and it's not far enough because Saul is still pursuing him. Then he goes to the temple, and he thinks, I'm going to hide here. The priest will hide me, but he can't stay long because one of Saul's men sees him and, in fact, points it out to him. And so the priest who is trying to protect David uh, later, he does a good thing here. He does try to protect David, but later he's killed by Saul. Um, and so David flees again, and he comes to Achish and King Gath, hoping to find rest, hoping to find safety. But instead, a, a servant of Achish trying, right, to look good, to uh, look like the smartest person in the kingdom, says to the king, that is, that's David, that's King David and we should take him hostage. And we should, they wanted to take him captive, maybe to take over Israel, maybe to make a bargain with Saul, whatever the reason, he wants to take David hostage. Uh, but David is very quick, and David pretends to be insane here, right? In fact, the scripture says that he had spittle running down his beard. It's that descriptive. So David is drooling spits coming down his beard, dragging his fist on the ground, trying to look crazy. And the king, literally the king says to his servant, don't I have enough madmen in town? Why would you bring me one more? And kicks David out of his castle. But David had to pretend to be insane, right, to get free. And so David flees to a cave, and the cave is called Adullam which in the Hebrew literally means pray, P-R-E-Y, right? So David's hiding in the cave of prey. Um, and I'm just going to read for us in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. David departed from there and escaped from the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter of soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And this exactly, this scene is where David writes Psalm 34. He says, with all this anxiety, all this history, his life being threatened over and over and over again, all that fear and shame 
of having like your own spit come down your face would probably feel a little bit embarrassing. He actually, the, his life is actually at stake multiple times. His rightful kingship, he thinks, for his knowledge, is ended, but it's at least on pause, right? All of that trouble, all that fear, and it's here that he's waiting to take place as rightful king, and it's in this cave, in this moment, with 400 men who join him, that David writes Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you hear it? Do you hear a man gathering people to praise his Lord, to praise his Yahweh? I think you most certainly do. He uses some pretty key words here of magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. You don't hear the same distressed man who just a few weeks earlier pretended to be crazy, right, whose life was on the line. You hear a man who can breathe again. He gets to take his mask off, right? And because of that, we look to him. We know that those who look to the Lord are as radiant beauty, Right? Because the Lord comes in and over covers them with whatever circumstances they're facing. Those who look to the Lord are as radiant beauty. Let me continue reading. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. I want to highlight here some of the contrasts that David sought. He looked to, he cried to him, and he was delivered. Radiance was given, and he was heard from all his fears, never ashamed, all his troubles. So a couple of things here. David particularly chooses his words. He's a poet, right? That's what we know. Yeah, he writes the largest book of the Bible, right? Sought, looked for, cried, because that's what he just experienced. David's life had been sought after by the enemy. David's life had been looked for by his enemy, who should have been his protector, by the way, side note. Um, but instead, he was found by God, right? Right? Because all who look to the Lord are radiant beauties. Uh, I have freckles. There's probably just more of them today than there were a few months ago because the more that the sun is out, the more freckly I get. I inherited these from my Ukrainian father. And so it doesn't take much if I look to the sun for just 30 minutes, my face will be popping with freckles but there is nothing I do to make that happen. I don't, I don't flip a switch. I don't say, freckles, come now, please. I just look to the sun. And when the sun hits my face, there is something else that is exposed than what's there in the everyday. Because those who look to the Lord have radiant beauty. 
Um, the other thing that strikes me about this passage is that it says all fear, all trouble, never shame. God is not in the business of just taking some of our issues. Uh, I'll take about 70-30 today. If you could do 30% of your pain and your problem, I got the other 70. He is in the business of taking all of our fear, right? All of this, all the, the stuff that he's feeling is temporary. And I'll take your fear today and God will come back tomorrow and take our fear for tomorrow, take our troubles for tomorrow. And we will never be ashamed. All who look to the Lord will find radiant beauty. Now, here's the thing that is interesting to me, right, that I've heard preached differently, is that God also didn't go back in time. He didn't make David's troubles disappear like they never happened. He didn't take David in a time machine, right, um, and say, stop Saul from being crazy. David still experienced those things. That history is still part of David's story. It's what makes him a better king. It's what makes him a better friend, right? Not perfect, but better. It's still part of his memories. I bet you in the future that there are times where David will still experience nightmares, right? He might wake up thinking that Saul is over him or pursuing him. But the truth is, he still went through it. But God still can hold those things because there is no shame to be felt anymore. Because the other thing that is true here is that it is in David's past. It's not present. When David takes the throne as king, he no longer has spittle dripping off of his beard, right? He is anointed fully as king. And as each of us step into what God has called us to do, may it be leading a new ministry, or may it be uh, leading a congregation, or working a nine-to-five, or attending school as a student, and maybe we even still have to wear a mask part of the time, God is there to meet with us. God is there to say, step fully into your calling as radiant beauties and co-heirs of Christ. Do not cling to your past. Use it to strengthen your calling today, right? Because all who look to the Son, right, all who step fully under the lordship of the king are as radiant beauties. Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Delivers them. There we see this, uh, this word of uh, David writing once more as someone who knows that God has delivered him has pulled him out of a place that is dark. Verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And the Hebrew word for see here is actually the word meaning to drink deep. O oh, taste and drink deep. The Lord is good. Because those who look to the Lord are as radiant beauties. In the Psalms is written, there are three different styles of Psalms. There is a Psalm of orientation, kind of finding your grounding, finding your, your landing. Disorientation, things have 
become upset and spills all over the place. Life is kind of a mess. And reorientation. We're getting our footing again after things have been disrupted. And that's where David is writing. David is writing, and his life's been disrupted. He's been pursued by his own king. He's hiding in a cave, but he is reorienting himself to life now. And I think that that is exactly where we're at, right? Parallel to this, in us exiting COVID, we are reorienting ourselves. We have been through a year and plus of disorientingness. Some of us have lost family members and friends even to COVID. And now we're in a place of reorienting. Um, as many of you know, if not all of you know, I run an organization called Route One Ministry. And when we first started about 10 years ago, I realized that we needed to get our name out there. So we'd been around for about a year. We've been doing work for about a year. Um, and I knew people needed to know about who we were, right? And what we were doing if we were going to succeed and move forward. And so I had seen signs up that said that there was a 5K race, 5K race, 5K race, I think for the fire department. And I thought, oh, that's what we need to do. We need to have a 5K race and then people will see our name and then maybe we'll even make some money. And so I went to the fire department and I said to the, the captain, I said, I saw that you did this race. Could you maybe give me some tips or give me the route? And he refused. He thought what I did was the most absurd thing Ever. Now, it later turned out, I mean, as the more we talked, he began to confess that he has been to all the strip clubs up and down Route 1, so that was part of his problem. Was um, He was like, no, you need a year and a hundred men to pull off this race. And I said, well, I have two months and six women. So <laughs> this is what's happening. And it happened. We had the race. Um, it was, I think, successful. People came out. Now, I probably knew every single person that came out, but people came out, and we even we even made some money, $120. So it was a, it was a great success. Um, but the truth is that we we had to we had to step forward in this, and we had to step forward even though we didn't know all of the pieces, or I didn't have a hundred men or a year, right? Because it's what I believe that God was calling us to do next. And here we are like 10 years later, and it wasn't just that race, right? But there are these moments of faith. And I think, again, if we think about David, who's writing this psalm in this cave, he's gathering people to praise the Yahweh who has rescued him. Over and over again, he says, praise the Lord with me. And 400 people join him in this cave to praise the Yahweh. Um, but here is the truth, right? David is going to take place as their king. But even in David stepping forward as their king, they are still in a season of anticipation, just like we are. We are still waiting for our true king to come back again. And so we live in this tension of this world. And in between acknowledging Christ as our Savior, and until he comes again, there is work to be done. There is work to be done in each one of our, us and in our families and, and in the world around us. And I know that uh, Christ Presbyterian Church supports Route 1 as well as several other organizations in reaching that kingdom, right? 
and but also you can continue to do that work in your everyday job. I think for me, some mornings, not every morning, I should pray it every morning. What I pray is I thank God for the opportunity to serve him by serving Route 1. And I wonder if you can put that prayer in your own life. Can you say, thank you, Jesus, for being able to serve you by serving in the courts, by serving as a lawyer, by serving as a teacher in the public schools, right? Because that is what it means to be the ones who have received his radiant beauty. I know some of you right now are maybe still filling the spittle in your beard. Yes, COVID has kind of lifted, we have vaccines, but you still might be feeling the residue of the, the loved ones that you've lost, or time at work that you've lost, or a job that you loved that you were laid off from, right? Or whatever else it might be. But please rest assured that him who calls us to look to him is sufficient to carry that grief, that he is waiting to meet with you today to say, don't forget what you've been through, but I will rescue you from all of your troubles, all of your fears, and let us taste and drink deep because the Lord is good. I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that you have called us beloved. I thank you that you have left us scripture like Psalm 34 to meet with us in times of trouble, to meet with us when we have felt distress, when our world has been shaken or come unhinged or uh, has fallen apart. You are there to greet us and to bring us back into a place of orientation. God, I pray for myself and for each one of us in this room who call you Lord, that today we would remember to look to you, that we would embrace what it means to be radiant beauties anointed by the true king. It is in your name that we pray and we claim these things and we ask for our week ahead that you would wait for us, that you would be there to greet us, that we would trust that you carry all our troubles. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.